episode of MJ's Progress Not Perfection. Guest this week is Rob. Rob and I met in a podcast Facebook group. Um, I did his podcast, The Fighter Story. It's on YouTube and it's on anywhere podcasts can be listened to, Apple, Spotify, all of them. And um, so he did mine this time, and we talked a lot about, you know, his drinking use and his how it led to pills, how it led to homelessness, and, you know, moving all over the place. We have very similar things in our story. A lot of fun to talk about, you know, always fun talking to somebody who loves hockey as much as I do, you know. So we had a really fun conversation. Definitely runs over an hour and a half, so it's not one of the shorter ones. So strap in, but it's definitely... A nice conversation it's not typical sobriety you know aa route that you hear about it's definitely more of like taking the best of all situations kind of like i do and just using our shared experiences and podcasts and that also helps us in sobriety a lot so i hope you know this podcast helps me as much as it helps anybody else and i enjoy doing it as much as anybody enjoys listening to it so I appreciate all of the support, likes, comments, the you know follows, the subscri- subscriptions, or whatever that you're doing. You know, Patreon is really something that I love doing now too. So if you haven't you know checked that out, that's where all the exclusives go. Whenever we do an episode, you know, it tries to get edited and uploaded on Patreon as fast as possible, and then they're still going to roll out weekly. You know, on YouTube and everything, but this Patreon is where you see the exclusive first look at the episode. So, again, enjoy this episode, another fun one, and um, yeah, thank you. Welcome to the show, Rob. I appreciate you stepping on. Yeah, for sure, um, man. It's good to be here. Yeah. So, uh, you, you, how, what's your, um, what's your sobriety day, man? Yeah. So mine is May fifteenth, uh, about three and a half years ago. Oh wait, shit. So yours is right after mine. Mine's April twenty fifth, two thousand eighteen. No, no, no. Sorry, March, March fifteenth of two thousand eighteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh That's... shit! So still, we're you know we're about a month apart. You know, I was yeah. getting, I got arrested about a week after you got you got sober. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so did I actually. So <laughs> yeah, it's not not that far off. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> And what was your main downfall, your drug of choice that was, like, your favorite? Yeah, so so my drug of choice was easily uh, Percocet, um, Oxys, um, and then alcohol to kind of accompany that. Alcohol was kind of – it was it was just always there. You know, yeah. alcohol was never, like, the thing that I wanted, but it went really well with uh, opiates – and then if I didn't have opiates, it made me forget about the withdrawal, and it just made it the come down so much. I wouldn't say enjoyable because <laughs> none of it's enjoyable, but it I could Tolerable. get through the day. Yeah, Tolerable. I could get the day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was definitely like whenever I because like I couldn't at one point drink anymore on opiates. Like the last six months of my nine and a half year run. Like, I couldn't drink because it literally was hurting my liver to, like, drink on opiates. Like, I had to, like, I quit drinking for six months before I got sober because of how bad it was hurting my liver. Because after nine years, how long did you use them for? So, oh, opiates? Yeah, like pills, like oxys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never actually done the math, but I'm guessing anywhere from like six to eight years, like straight of not doing anything. And like you were saying, like you couldn't really drink for 
I couldn't, I was hospitalized twice with pancreatitis. Uh, my liver was all, you know, the numbers were everywhere. But uh, I remember walking to the liquor store, throwing up like those dry heaves, and then even getting that first one in, I would throw half of it up and get pissed off and I'd have to make another one. But I needed it in me because without that, I was going to throw up the pills because I would snort pills. And so there was no way of me being able to get oxys in me. And so to like even everything out, I would get bathroom and have like a long it was i'd normally do a vodka red bull like a 50 50 vodka red bull slam that down and it'd probably be like a half a pint you know and that knowing most of that's getting thrown up and then i could get like start smoking some kind of weed to calm the stomach and then the pills would come in and then i'd be then i'd be good you just reminded me of like you know the craziness like people don't understand that didn't do pills but like the closer you got to doing a pill, the more your stomach would hurt. The more nauseous you got, the mm-hmm. closer. And once they get into your hand and you can do them, you are full-blown about the vomit everywhere. Like, the anticipation of even doing them. Like, I would have a two-hour drive sometimes just to pick up. And the closer I got, the more sick I would feel, you know. And I remember one time, like, we would do drive-bys a lot. Like, we would drive by each other on the street and, like, toss a pack of cigarettes out the window to each other, and, like, my pack would have cash, and their pack would have a baggie in it, you know? This yeah. way, it wasn't, like, doing a parking lot. We're just driving by on the street. Here you go, here you go, and on the way. And um, I remember one time I pulled over right away because I would always drop mine into a straw, like a full-size straw, right? Yeah, and I, I would, told me this. Yeah, I would bend it in half and drop them in. Well, there yeah. was the, the one time I felt so nauseous, that like I had before I even did them like because I was about to and I leaned my head back and I was like I felt it you know what I mean because I was so nauseous from being withdrawn that I actually had to open my door and get rid of the bile that was about to come up before I did the pills because I knew I would throw up immediately as soon as I did them and I would waste two and yeah. I didn't want to waste any of the pills so I would actually purposely have to make myself throw up sometimes before I did them just out of pure nervousness that I would throw up by doing them because oh, yeah. of the same thing that you were just saying, like <laughs> that poke and choke, man. Oh man. But it, you, you got know, you can rally. Yeah. And, and I think that's why I can like dry heave and throw up and be like, okay, I'm, I'm good to go now again. Like, you know, I don't like burp or anything. So when I drank a lot, like I haven't burped since I was a baby, no lie, like haven't. And so when I would drink a lot and you have to like relieve that pressure in your stomach, I would have to just pull the trigger, you know, as we call it, you know, pull the trigger, make yourself throw up. Like I got good in, you know, school making myself throw up in class by sticking my tongue in the back of my throat. And that would make me vomit at my desk and they would send me home for the day because they would think I was really sick. You know, (laughs) if you throw up in the classroom, they send you home. So, and if okay. you even start dry heaving, they send you to the bathroom and you come back and you're like, oh, I just got sick. And then they send you to the nurse. And as long as you already have your tongue in the back of your throat when you're walking into the nurse's office, they call your mom to come go home. So <laughs> I got really good at that at a young age because <laughs> I didn't want to be in school. But yeah. later in my drinking career, every time I needed to throw up, tongue in the back of the throat. Shit, I just did that last night when I felt so nauseous that I just had to relieve that pressure. And instead of burping, I have to go and just dry heave it out. Shit sucks, dude. And the pancreatitis, like, I still have pancreatitis in sobriety from addiction. My pancreas is still goes double the size. I just had it two months ago again. 
Jesus. Yeah, like I have to intermittent fast, like 16 hours off and eight on because yeah. of how bad my pancreas is from 20 years of drinking and 10 years of using. So, like, I just fucked up my pancreas. Like, my gallbladder stopped functioning because of it. That had to be removed. And now my pancreas is all messed up. So we're keeping an eye on it to make sure, you know, there's no, like, getting rid of your pancreas. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, bad, uh, having, a, <laughs> having a bad pancreas took out Patrick Swayze, and I'm not that in shape. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, yeah, shit, exactly. that shit makes me nervous. <laughs> if it can get Patty Swayze, then it can get me. Yeah. So... Yeah, that, I remember the first time I got that. That was painful. It was it's... like... Like, I was hospitalized, I think, for three days or something, you know, and, like, you can't eat or anything, but they they at least gave you painkillers, so it wasn't horrible, it's just, they, yeah, it's you know not what it's, you want. You know why it's three days? They, they, they do three days because you need to fast for the first three days at their pancreatitis to reset yeah. their pancreas again, and that's why I do intermittent fasting, so that I have less of a chance of my pancreas doubling in size because I'm constantly fasting now. Oh, that's cool. You know what I mean? But it still happens because I still, like, I fuck up when I don't fast right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm in my office sometimes 12 hours a day, so I forget when I ate and I'm just eating a snack or something, and it just fucks up. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so when did you start, you know, drinking? Uh, I think, well, I mean, like, the first time I ever drank... It was like my mom's boyfriend gave me a Zima. Um, you know, like he, that dude was a piece of shit. Um, like we ended up, like I've gone to jail over that dude when I was like 15 trying to like kill him. Um, like he was really a piece of shit. But like, I think it was like nine or 10. And he like handed me a Zima. And I don't even know if Zimas are still a thing anymore. I don't think they are. But. I th- it's the, pretty much should be the equivalent of like a white claw now, you know, like it's yeah. pretty much, it was like an unflavored white claw. It yeah. was just like these Topo Chico's, but like that alcohol and not and, a lot of alcohol either. Yeah. 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 No. And it, it was weird because like he was, all his friends were uh, like these biker guys and that's what he wanted was, you know, to be this biker dude. And I got a fucking Zima. <laughs> um, and then the second time I, it was like, you know, my buddy's dad had like a cool or a fridge down in the basement, you know, and we'd have sleepovers. And so like I ganked like a couple of those before I went home. They sat in my backpack and I tried them in like this park instantly spit it out, wanted to go home and get some Kool-Aid. Um, and then I think I tried one more time. It was I haven't even told her this, but my mom had a bottle of wine that my aunt brought back from France. And I just wanted to know what it was, you know, like. I I had no idea, so I think I took a screw and a hammer to try to like get the cork out. Like it, it's, it took like an hour or something. I was like, <laughs> I was twelve or like ten. I don't know. I didn't have Google. There was nothing. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So I'm like hacking away, like trying to get this thing out. I think I used like a uh, a pasta strainer at one point to try to get all like the the chunks out. And I finally got it open. And got into this glass, and I tried to drink it, and it tasted like shit. And I was just like, yeah, it's like, threw it away. And it was like a super expensive bottle that literally got murdered just to get dumped <laughs> down a drain. <laughs> um, that cork yeah. alone was more expensive than any bottle you probably ever bought on your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then after that, it was just kind of like uh, I played hockey growing up. 
Um, but I also what had position? Uh, left D. I just I had a, I still to this day I don't know why it's like a natural thing. I can just I have a really hard slap shot. Are so you just, um are you opposite left as in like and sometimes they put right handers in the left D. Are yep. you what is yeah. that you yeah you're yeah, a right yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's just my favorite angle. Because um, I was lefty in the right slot on defense. We would have been partners. We would have been. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I was I a like lefty in the right D. Glove, yeah. The high glove spot, you know, that bar down. I was just, oh, I liked it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And then, like, I didn't actually start drinking until, like, high school. You know, it was like we had, I wasn't really in high school that much. Um, well, you were playing my, hockey in Michigan? Yeah. And high, yeah. yeah, and in high school, that's like, you might as well be traveling. Right? Well, yeah, I was yeah. traveling. So I wasn't really in high school that much because I was playing. Yeah, I was playing outside. And then also I would have like days to where I'd have like broken nose or like a black eye or something. It had nothing to do with hockey, but it was like the fights and I'd be in at home. And I just never wanted to address it. You know, it was like I'm doing my own thing. And I always felt like this outsider type person because all my friends lived in like subdivisions, had both parents at home, you know, like their idea of going out for the weekend is like taking the boat out. Yeah. Whereas I was the poor kid that got invited to come, you know, and like they knew I wasn't going to have any money. So it was like this weird thing. But like in high school, I became the guy that could get shit no one else could get. You know, and you, so were, like, oh. and you were aggressive, too, because if you're playing defense and hockey and going through all that at home, like a- anybody that knows hockey players know that more aggressive ones are the defensemen because yeah. you, you get to clean up shit in the slot. Yeah, you, know, exactly. you, you get to hit people more. You know yeah. what I mean? Wingers are more people that are more elusive. Centers are more like people that are going to lead the charge. But defensemen, you're, you're there to hit people. Yeah. 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 So it was, yeah, my, I just, I never fit in, you know, with like a lot of people around me because like for me, I'd go to hockey practice and then I'd come home and then I'd fight a 45 year old man, you know, and like have to clean the blood off before like my mom owned a daycare. And I would literally have a fight in the backyard. I'd have to clean everything off. So the parents didn't know about it as they're coming to pick their kids up. And so that was my normal. So for me to like, have a group of people it wasn't something that i had and so i think it was like 15 or something people wanted to start drinking and partying you know like in my social circle but no one knew where to get it i was already you know talking to adults at that time and hanging out with 21 year olds you know just because those were the people that i could closely relate to anything that had to do with school i didn't really care about that and so I could pick up beer and show up to a party, and that was, like, I was the guy. You know, like, I was the popular one that was able to do it in my head. You know, yeah. obviously, I was the loser that they just used to get the alcohol. But in my head, you know, like, I contributed for once. You know, I they needed to pay me, and then I, yep. like, to do it, and that's Runner when I learned the entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that's where the entrepreneurial part started. Yeah. But, uh. Yeah, I would I would definitely be the guy to get like Friday Saturdays, you know, everybody's calling see what I can get and uh that's where alcohol became like a weekly type thing. Um I just never understood how people would be like I'm drunk and they had a six pack and then they would just stop drinking. 
that part to me never just it never made sense i was always the last one to go to bed you know cleaning up other people's shit not by cleaning up but like you're not gonna leave a bottle half full around me like yeah i'm gonna clean up as i'm gonna finish it yeah (laughs) yeah exactly yeah it wasn't like you were cleaning up with a broom in a vacuum you were cleaning up as in what is this half a bottle doing here i'll just chuck this no, I was, and I was one of the worst drunks too. Like, especially in like my high school and college days, to where I would go to your house as a party, and I would get drunk, but think it'd be funny to like go into the bathroom and piss on stuff. So not just like the toilet, but I would just like start flinging around. Yeah. Just because I was a drunk asshole, you know, like yeah. I had that that arrogance to me that everybody hated. But in my eyes, that was, like, what everybody wanted. So, yeah, it was, it was stupid. <laughs> what happened when you were 15 with your stepdad? So, he was – he's actually not my stepdad. He was just my mom's boyfriend. And uh, he, he already had kids. He had kids of his own. So, it was just kind of like I was the kid that he showed up to the relationship and never wanted. So, we would – just getting fights. I mean, it, you know, like little small arguments and stuff, but it eventually turned into like full blown, like when I was eight years old, I'd get fucked up, you know, and not just like a little bit, but it would be pretty bad. And so when I got older, um, I like started swinging back, you know, like, yeah, you start, like you get like so scared and violent and all this rage that you don't know what to do. So everybody goes for that, that overhand, right. You know? And I remember it hit once and it stumbled him and like, it, it shook me. I didn't know what to do. And so I got my ass beat. Um, but like, I started taking all like these little pieces, you know? And then like, I, I got older one time and I was around 15 or 16. He, uh, he actually had, my mom left him. And he had tapped our phone lines. And so I had to go to court for this guy because he had tapped our phone lines. I was talking to, like, my f- my girlfriend. You know, and at 14 or 15, like, yeah, that's not something. It's That's fucked up. And so we had to go to court for that whole thing. Um, I remember coming home one time, and he was there, and he started some shit with me. And so I was like, all right, yeah, this is, this is done. You know, like, you don't need to be on this planet anymore. And, uh, so I reached into like a drawer and I grabbed like a steak knife and like, I was, I was going to stab him. Like I I wanted to hit him in the neck. My mom was right there. So she grabbed the blade of the knife, like the actual steel, like the serrated part. And so I let go of that, grabbed another one. And at that time he had gone into the garage, shut the door, called the cops. And, you know, I'm outside the door, like kicking it, like, Oh, now you want to run, you know? And it just, that kind of gave me the out that I needed of like, now I'm doing things on my own. And that took off into like my drinking career, which, you know, never, you don't have a successful drinking career. <laughs> but. Yeah, you know, um, you're the second person. So I talked to somebody who did actually follow through with what you wanted to do. When he was yeah. 19, I did an interview a couple weeks ago and it, it was a long hour and 41 this dude was 19 and um, he was at a party and he had heard rumors about his one friend that was like hitting on all these girls and doing this inappropriate shit and like touching them when they wasn't supposed to and all that. And he had heard it happened again, like overheard it. And he was like, fuck this. It's on like I'm taking matters in my own hands and taking care of this. 
grabbed a knife, walked over to him, and stabbed him twice in the throat. Like, straight up stabbed. And he's like, I don't remember it. Apparently, like, I was pacing back and forth. I was blacked out. I was so drunk, and I was on acid. I don't remember. I was disassociating. Like, when the cops told me what I did, I didn't believe them. Like, when we were sitting in the interrogation office, I didn't know it. And he did seven and a half years. For the first three months, he didn't know if he was going to do seven years or 25, depending on if the guy lived or died because he was on life support for three months. Jesus. And the guy pulled through, so he got seven and a half years. And he ended up becoming like an artist in prison because I was like, how did you survive prison for seven years at 19 as a skinny white boy? You know what I mean? Like straight up, <laughs> yeah. like how did you like – yeah, And he was like, I got into doing, like, oil. Like, um, he ended up making, like, portraiture people and would sell them to everybody. So everyone would get, like, portraits of themselves with their family and send them back home. So no one wanted to hurt him. He even got into, like, coffee can art. Like, he mm-hmm. used instant coffee and was making some of the most ridiculous portraits I've ever seen. Like, the most realistic things. Let me see if I can find it because I know that, you know, you're into – that kind of weird shit too um coffee artist but this is just look at this fucking de niro dude oh shit that's with that's what coffee that's what instant coffee in his jail cell yeah yeah he hasn't done he, he hasn't done um art though since he got out of jail he's tried yeah. twice and he can't get back into what he said so, like, he was like, that was, like, survival for me. And now, like, when I think of it, like, it makes me think of that shit, and I can't do it. I'm like, damn, dude, that yeah. sucks. Because, like, obviously you were talented as fuck at it. He's like, yeah, but it helped me survive, you know. But anyway, yeah, so if that makes you feel any better, you could have uh, easily did seven and a half for yeah. attempted murder <laughs> that your mom saved you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, no. They would have tried what... you as an adult. Oh, for sure, yeah. No, what happened to me, I ended up going to, uh, the cops showed up. I remember him because he had, like, a scar, like, in this area. And, uh, like, this tall, bald guy. And he was, like, he pulled me up front, asked me what happened, you know, like, asked him what happened. Uh, Pulled my mom aside and kind of asked her what happened. And then he came out. And, uh, like, it was, my mom's boyfriend and I were both out there. And so he was like, all right, cool. So, you know, let's go over the story. And his story was is that I hit him first. And the cop was like, fucking stepsons never know the rules. And I got thrown into the back of a cop car as soon as, like, it was put out there that I swung first. You know, I clearly hadn't um, even, like, gotten to hit him at that point. But we had gotten into a fight earlier in the week. He had a black eye from me hitting him. And so it was just this whole thing. So I got to spend i think it was the weekend you know like a friday to a monday type thing and it was uh in like a Murray spear um campus like a juvenile campus type thing to where it was just a, a holding cell and i i remember just throwing my sock in the air acting like chris osgood you know literally for like the entire weekend i had nothing else to do i didn't know how long i was going to be there there was no judge there, there wasn't anything it was just here you go this is what you get and I didn't even know what I had done wrong, you know, because, yeah. like, in my head, I had been getting in fights so many times. I had the cops call so many times from, like, broken bones, you know, that, like, for me to want to, like, just body this guy, it didn't really matter. You know, like, why am I getting in trouble? And so it just, it it threw off this, like, 
instantly yeah. I, I just stopped trusting cops, you know, as we all do, you know, like, and so from that point on, it was like, all right, cool. Now I got this thing. I got people that want me around. Um, I'm just going to go do that. And yeah. I, I never paid attention to actually going to college or, you know, do anything else. I just wanted to do the party side. So I slowly stopped playing hockey. Um, I remember the first season I didn't sign up and it was weird, you know, like all my friends were, you know, like they'd call the house and I just wouldn't be there. And it, it was like this weird transition to where I went straight party mode. Everybody in my hometown left for school. I had no idea what was going on. So I got a job. And then a girl that I had always wanted came back and was like, oh, hey, I'm doing this thing called college. So I was like, all right, I'll do that too. You know, and so I ended up going to school um, so I could go to college to party pretty much. I, I legitimately remember looking up a fraternity to see what fraternities were on campus because that's all that I knew about school. I didn't know you could learn stuff. I just figured that got in the way of partying. And so I ended up going to Northern Michigan um, after doing like some community college stuff because um, I just got a GED and went up there and it is winter 10 out of 12 months there. Yeah. <laughs> is it up in the UP? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, and it's right on the lake too. Um, so it's it's freezing. And uh but we were known for drinking and hockey. And so it just it fell in and I was in one of the fraternities and we had uh we had a trophy. So every Sunday we'd have these meetings and it was like uh drunk of the week was this trophy and it was a toilet seat and I held that bitch for an entire year. You know, every week it was like a goal of mine because I knew I was barely making grades. If I was, I was cheating. Um, I knew I was going to get kicked out. Um, but I was the guy that would be, you know, up every night of the week looking for a party. Is Marquette up there? Yeah, yeah. That's where, oh, okay. Yeah, that's where Northern is. Yeah, it's in Marquette. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was thinking, oh, well, am I thinking of Marquette, Wisconsin? Yeah. Okay, that's where that school is, where, like, Chris Farley went. Yes, yeah, that's in Madison. Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yep, you're right. Yep. Oh, okay, it's one of those weird things where, like, you're okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those, I get it now. Whenever I hear Marquette, I think of the blue and yellow, you know, jacket that he would wear in Tommy Boy. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's, like, University of Marquette, but it's in Madison. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I don't really. Either way, it. either way, that's my ADD that just distracted me for a second. Anyway, so it's cold as yeah. shit in Marquette, and all you have to do is drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah. So I'm just trying to like keep going on that thought. It's I uh, I never graduated from.
Um, so it was like after that summer when I got home, my mom actually had one of those uh, barrels of Percocets, you know, the big pill bottles. Yep. And I had tweaked something. And so she was like, well, hey, you know, I got a bottle of these up there if you need any. And so I tried, I think, like two of them. Got a little fucked up off of them. And then I remembered snorting Coke. So I went through a process of trying to figure out how much I could snort, you know, like how to actually do it. Um, Because when I didn't have anybody showing me how to do this stuff, there's not like a drug guru. I mean, there is, but, you know, those people. We didn't know about that stuff either, you know, back like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, like we barely yeah. knew how to Google and use Craigslist into that, like the mid two thousands. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Little pill crushers, or you know, like what kills you? Like I had no idea if like snorting something was like heroin. You know, like I I was a dumb drunk kid. Yeah. So what year was I, it? I figured it out. Fifteen. Okay. Somewhere around. Yeah, maybe. No. 10. 2010. 2010. That yeah, makes something, sense. Yeah. Around, yeah, something like that. Somewhere around there. Because um, I'm 36. I should have graduated in 80 or in 03. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah somewhere we're roughly the there. same age because I'll be 35 next month. So we're like the same. Yeah. So when we were using around the same time. So I remember, like, I would imagine if she had a big ass bottle like that, it would have been fives or tens inside. Like perk yeah, fives it was or perk the, tens, the fat, the five over three twenty fives. Oh yeah, yeah, we called we called them bananas. The, uh, yeah, see, ours were the circular ones, and they were scored right down the middle. Oh, and okay. so I, yeah, um, it all depends on the manufacturer. It's over yeah. here, you know what I mean? Like I've gotten blood pressure medicine from this. It actually triggered me a little bit. Like I got blood pressure medicine from. I think it was Walmart, and I had the little V on it that was exactly the V that was on all the 30s. Not all the 30s, but that one brand specifically because yeah. it was made by the same company. They just happened to make blood pressure medicine too, obviously, not just, you know, hard drugs. And I was yeah. just looking at it like, oh, I don't know if I want to even take this because, like, this company makes me break out. It was the only – like, yeah. I like the M30s and the A215s but or the K9s, but the Vs – always made my face all blotchy and break out every single time yeah, i did a, a v cut i broke out in hives you could get those in a hydrocodone the, yeah. that v was on a hydrocodone too i remember that yep um and so yeah so you finally you did some perks and then it was did, did you know right away that you loved it yeah it yeah because yeah, at that point like the only i didn't have friends yeah i had people i drank with Yep. You know, and so that became my closest relationship. You know, they were, there was plenty of them there, and I found out people would pay for them. So it would be nothing for me to, like, you know, my mom would end up extremely short, like half a bottle short. But she knew she was giving them to me, and she didn't know that they were worth money. So I'd sell some to friends so that way I had money for booze and then wait for unemployment to come in, constantly taking hers, you know. So that was, like this weird summer to where all I did or this weird off season. Cause I had found a way to, to work for like, you know, four or six months, whatever it is on the Island. And then most people get unemployment for the rest of the year. Gotcha. So I would do that and just get fucked up and like drive around and visit friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
what I didn't know is that I was actually getting addicted to all this shit. You know what I mean? Like you feel like it's not going to happen to you and you'll know to stop it. But, uh, I didn't know. So I went to Mackinac Island the next summer and that first night, it just, it felt like that, that ride to where the floor comes out and then you just fall, but only like my bowels, you know what I mean? It was just, Oh, like I know what you mean. Everything needed to get the fuck out. And so I didn't, I didn't know I was detoxing. I just thought I had gotten the flu from eating food in a different place, you know? And so I, I tried to get a bottle of NyQuil so that way I'd at least be able to pass out because I didn't have enough money to get drunk my first night back on the island. I got some NyQuil and I remember there was no way I was going to make it to the bathroom. And I was in like this dorm setting to where we had a shared bathroom outside of the, the door to get in my room. And it was the first night there, but there was a mini fridge there. And so I literally had to put that thing on its back, open up the door and completely detox shit inside this mini fridge, which other people ended up cleaning and using later on, which is pretty fucking gross. But yeah, I never knew I was, I was detoxing, you know, um, I went to work. Everybody thought I was just sick and I was drinking my ass off to try to get through the night. It eventually calmed down until I found a dealer on the island and uh towards the end of my stay like nothing really crazy happened that summer it was just the normal using day-to-day shit trying to survive i'd make 150 bucks and i would have drank that you know by midnight and then with the pills you know that shit was gone quick yeah so when you found it when you found a dealer on the island and you got high again did you then realize like that's why your stomach like why you felt that because because i know like the first time I had detox and I didn't know I was detoxing. And when you get high again, you're like, wow, I feel like a million bucks. What the, wait, was that? No, that? I, was, no I, no. no uh, okay. Okay. But for some reason, I felt like I was better than everybody. You know, that wouldn't happen to me. Um, I was just sick. And there was a decent amount of time in between to where it wasn't like the pills stopped me from detoxing. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I did break my arm. And then so that kind of ended my season. Um, I needed surgery. It was on my radial head. And so, but I remember the doctor being like, you know, I can just give you some like pain medicine to to help manage it. And, you know, you should be good in a few couple weeks or something like that. Because it was like the bone and how it was overlaying that it would eventually just kind of grind itself down to where it wouldn't be a huge issue. Saying that makes me think he was a shitty doctor, but that's what I had. <laughs> And he was like, or we can do surgery. You know, it's going to be a longer process, going to be more painful, but it'll be better in the long run. So I chose surgery based on knowing I was going to have a prescription coming at the end and that I wasn't going to leave that office without one. And so I literally went through surgery just to get pain medicine. Um, I remember him being like handing me a hydrocodone script. And I was like, oh, actually, can I get Percocet instead? you know, or oxycodone instead, hydrocodone just doesn't work for me. And it, it just never got me fucked up, but that was like the first big decision that like altered my physical body based on me being needing drugs, which is pretty fucked up to know I have a scar. I've told a, <laughs> I, I've told a doctor that I was allergic to hydrocodone before. So they would up it. Yeah. Like, yeah oh, you yeah, know, I'm actually allergic to that. 
Yeah. You know, like, yeah, oh, okay. Tramadol. Then, I've done yeah. for- oh, I'm allergic to Tramadol if anyone asks. Yeah. <laughs> that shit does not do any. But that's when I had my surgery a couple months ago, I refused to Tramadol because I knew that wasn't going to touch my pain anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, don't even give me the Tramadol. Like, they're like, no, take the script. I was like, okay. And I left the script on my bed when I walked out. Because I was also pissed because that was when they shot me up with fentanyl when I told them not to. So, you know what I mean? I knew I was going to be having a rough time as it was. But anyway, so you got the surgery. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, so that pretty much just sent me on another run. I, I never stayed in the same spot. You know, as far as, like, I moved around quite a bit. Um, I mean, Hawaii was one of them. Um, I didn't want to go back to Mackinac just because I had this reputation of sleeping around. Um, I would, if I didn't have money to drink at the end of my shift, but the cash register did, you know, like, that became my money, you know, just figure it out the next day. Um, working in restaurants, there's ways of getting, especially bartending, you know, I just pour my own drinks, but at the same time I could give you a, a Bud Light for three fifty. you know, you hand me a five, say keep the change. I just don't put it in the cash register. You yeah. Know? You, you so, don't even charge them for the beer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was doing, you know, dumb little, little shit like that. Um, yeah, and that led to my first DUI, which was also uh, back in Marquette. I got my first DUI on St. Patrick's Day, um, like everybody else. You know, you can't really drive at 2 o'clock in the morning on St. Patrick's Day and not expect to get pulled over yeah. in a college town. But I did. I was an idiot. Um, I've also had this bout to where... Like, I knew that I was pretty much into drugs and that it was becoming a problem when I was driving down. uh, I was trying to get to Toledo to a bar that I was working at and trying to crush up a Percocet on top of a CD case at the same time. Kind of like went off the road, hit the gravel, spun, and a semi is coming at me. And the only thing I was thinking about is that all the powder on the CD case was now on the floor. You know, and so it was like, oh. All right, may have to look at this differently, but I mean, I didn't for quite a few years later. I would always crack the CD case. I would like there was yeah. never a time that I didn't crack the CD case. You know what I mean? Like eventually, that's why I started doing that straw trick because I realized that any CD case I grab, I'm gonna end up cracking when I crush it on there. Yeah. You know, and then you end up, you lose it inside the cracks. You know what I mean? Like, it's a whole fucking mess. So yeah. that's that's when I started getting innovative with that straw trick because I couldn't do the CD cases anymore because I kept breaking them. Yeah, I would go, <laughs> I would go to McDonald's or Wendy's because they have those, uh, the fold-down baby changing stations. Yep. And you could get straws right by the soda machine. And they had so the fat I, straws, too. Yeah, the, the big yellow and white ones. And so I'd just go in there, grab one of those. I could cut that bitch in half with my teeth if I needed to because it was too long. Have it ground up with the ID within. Like, if you gave me a quarter, an ID, and a pen, I'll have a pill cut up into three lines in under 30 seconds, and you won't be able to find a granule that's bigger than any other one. It's just it's dust. Yep. And that just it became my ritual, you know. Like I had no idea what was going on. I uh I bet there was you, times... wish you knew my straw trick then, huh? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I use pens. So I would take like just a big pen, but I would take the ink out and I'd leave the tip of the pen in. And then that butt that goes on the end, I'd yeah. bite that out and I'd fill those pens up with that. So I could always have a loaded pen, pull the top out, and then I could just tap the powder wherever. You know, dude, that's that's crazy because um, I have my sponsee that did that with meth. He would do that with pen caps and like pens all over. Yeah. And he would attach magnets to his pens so he could hide his shit all over his trailer so his girl wouldn't find it. And with the magnet being attached to it, he could literally just throw it across the room and it would land somewhere and magnetize against it and he wouldn't get caught with it. But inside of the pen would be his meth that he would real quick come out and do a bump and then put it back into his pocket or whatever. Or he could put it into his drawstring of his mesh shorts. And, yeah, he always had, like, magnets and shit. Yeah, like, fucking crazy. Like, that's what you reminded me of. Yeah. (laughs) I never heard of anyone doing that until he told me, then y'all you. Yeah, you get innovative. It was fucked up because I wasn't the only one getting innovative. Because, like, if I wasn't traveling, I was a bum. Like, I literally, I would use every cent that I made drinking and ended up staying at my mom's a lot of the times when I wasn't, you know, off on some random bartending excursion. Was that dude back there? Like, when did he leave the picture finally with you? Oh, he, yeah, he left, like, when I was, like, 15, 15, He was around since you were, like, what, eight or nine? Like, seven, yeah, Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. And uh, he's actually the father to both of my brothers, um they hate him too he's not really in their life and he's deathly afraid of me now um but like i wasn't the only one being like getting creative because i would steal them from my mom and she was like all right like this has got to stop um so i started offering her money and so it was like three bucks for a five you know and then that became she started selling them to her friends so she became more tight with them and so she would literally leave the house for five minutes and I would be able to go through like, you know, the top drawer underneath the pillow, open up the closet. Um, instead of like searching coat pockets, I would just take the whole group of clothes and shake them because I could hear the rattle of the pills in a bottle. To this day, it's fucked up. If I see some or hear a pill bottle rattle, it triggers something in my brain. To, I know what that is. And now I just need to know what it is. I don't want it. Uh, maybe but like no it's the curiosity of you know for so long that's how we live dude like you know our mind you know that's the thing of like that's why when we get sober we have to reset our mind and learn how to you know be a person again because our mind is so wrapped up in all of those things for so many years that when we hear little things like that rattle we're like oh i wonder what they got in there because those are the people that you would befriend back in the day to be like eventually get the conversation going like oh what's that noise oh do you have something in your pocket what is yeah. it you know like you know fluoxetine is that prozac why do you got you know what I mean? and then like you know yeah. you always you know i was at a funeral six months sober for somebody that we got sober together and i was with my buddy who he has arthritis in his whole body since he was 18 he has you know he's he's he needs the pills but yeah. you know he does go through them but he needs them and I knew that if he's not in bed, then he has pills. Usually, like, he's down for the count. But if he has pills, you know, he's out of bed and he's walking around. So we went to the funeral and we're talking and we're hanging out. And I just knew that, like, he's standing a lot tonight. He's, he's got him. He's on him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no mm-hmm. way he could stand for this long. 
to smoke a cigarette unless he was on them. Because that's just, I know know who he is. We got high together for years. And I'm six months sober, and I'm like, but that's the last thing, like, I want to do is even ask him. Yeah. I didn't, I did not ask him because I felt like I didn't want him to think because he knew I was trying to be sober. And he would have said no. He would not, he never would have gave them to me. Even if I would have begged, he never would have given me one. You know, even if I had money, he wouldn't have given me one. I know that. But I didn't want to ask him because I didn't want him to think that I wanted him. Yeah. You know, if it was a stranger, I might have. But with him, I didn't want him thinking my mindset was like, I wonder what he's got him. Let me get some of that because I want him to because I'm depressed. So I, I yeah. didn't want him thinking that it was even like a thing that I wanted to entertain. So I didn't bring it up. But I knew like there's no way this dude's out and about right now unless he's on pills. Like there's no way. Yeah, it's weird, but, like, the whole getting sober thing. I remember, so I went to rehab. When did you go to and, rehab the first time? Uh, I've only gone once. Um, so, yeah, so it was it was May 15th, um, 18. And um, the thing with that, the weird part was, is, like, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, so I was so used to bouncing around place to place. Um, I had zero trust in anybody. Um, like I never was like put needles in my arm. Um, I never like sold my body like a lot of people do, you know, like I had this arrogance to me that I wouldn't even try dog food or heroin, you know, because it, it was dirty, you know, and I was better than that. It was, if I got a prescription, you know, then like, I'm not a junkie, you know, I'm I just, my body needs these. I'm not even an addict. My body just needs these to function. And like I had said that to so many people that I started believing it. Um, it just, it got to a point to where like my brothers, um, I raised my brothers pretty much. Uh, like my mom was definitely in the picture, but she's, she's gone through a lot of medical conditions. Um, and she had a daycare growing up. So it was kind of like us. And my brother was missing a pair of Beats headphones. And he called me, um, wanting to know if I knew where they were. And it, it like, made me realize that that's who I was. You know, like you said, like, you saw a guy in a funeral standing up. Like, I did that so many times to where, like, with my mom. I'd be like, oh, hey, do you want to go for a walk? And then the last half of the block, I would just be like, oh, I feel like running now, just so I could get back to the house before she got home, you know, to go through to try to find her pills. Um, if I knew a buddy had them, I would, you know, and I was at his place, I would come up with some excuse to get him out of the house, even if it didn't make sense, you know, of like, oh, why is there a fight going on down the street? You know, just to see if he'd leave. So that would give me two minutes to check the main spots, you know, like the bathroom cabinets, the top drawer in the bathroom, the top drawer in the bed, you know, like all the main spots because I knew they were there. Um, I had just ran out of places to do that. I ran out of people to steal from. And now my little brothers who like looked at me as like this God, you know, like I'm the oldest brother. And so, like, little brothers look up to their older brother, and when they see that, like, no, I'm nothing more than, like, a, a petty thief junkie, Yep. you know, like, it, it changes you. So I ended up going to rehab in Ann Arbor, Michigan at uh, Dawn Farms. Who asked you and to go, or did you want to go? No one. I uh, I was sitting around watching, uh, what the fuck is that show? It was on Showtime. It's where it's like the whole family, and the dad was the worst one. Um, is that billions? 
No, 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 no. It's like they they live in the south side of Chicago, like really shitty poor. Oh, oh shameless, shameless. Yes, shameless. Yeah, yeah. I was watching Shameless. Okay. And, and seeing that dude, like he was like William H Macy. Went, yeah. Yeah. The uh, and then the one son, he went um, to like AA meetings. So and, yeah, I love yeah. those. I love those episodes when he goes to AA. Um, Lip when he starts going to yes. AA and he meets that dude and everything. It's like season seven or eight, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, so go ahead. You're watching that show. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. Okay. You know, and like there was like this little liquor store up the street from where my mom's place was, and um, so I'd walk up there every day after stealing money out of my brother's wallet or you know change out of her thing, or she used to collect these bicentennial quarters. I would steal all those if it didn't matter. Like I was at my aunt and uncle's, and they had a bunch of two dollar bills. They meant something to them, but to me, it meant a bottle of booze or some pills, you know? So, like, it, I ran out of so many places that I never went to rehab to get clean or to get sober. I literally went to rehab for a place to live. Um, like, I was cool, like, um, like on Trailer Park Boys. That was another show that I was watching a lot because I wasn't doing shit because I'm getting drunk in this trailer. And I'm like, if I could just find an abandoned trailer in a junkyard and just go drink there, get fucked up, and if I die, like, eh, whatever, you know, like it doesn't really matter. Um, that that's that's what I was gonna be okay doing. And so that's when that show came on. I started watching that, and I I actually called a few places in California. I know, like, through our conversation on why you went out there, um, but it was ridiculously expensive, you know. I, I didn't understand how it could cost so much and that mistrust thing, you know, like it took a lot for me to even call a rehab. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, like I'm actually, I'm asking for help. Like I might die tonight and nobody's really responding. So I gave up on it for like a few months until my mom and I got into this conversation of basically like, I need to get the fuck out. And I was like forcing her to like, go get paperwork from court you know, of like pulling up some bullshit of like, I've lived here for six months. So now I have legal rights to live here. You know, like all this, like trying to grasp at anything to not have to do any work. And so I found a rehab out here and uh, just decided, you know, I was going to do it, but I didn't really know what it meant. Um, I still think today I don't know exactly what it means, you know, because I mean, like I can think back on like, fucked up times of you know getting drunk and like they're not all bad you know but like from my perception what bad is isn't always what somebody else's bad is like i thought it was fun for me to like steal two mopeds get drunk and end up in a river you know and walk home with muddy clothes on and wake up with a house covered in mud and a half working moped to me that was like a fun college story but like there's a lot of law breaking attached to that. <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah. You little know, bit, like as bit. you get yeah, as you get older, you're like, oh shit. And so yeah, it's I don't know, going to rehab in itself is is a completely it's a just it's a mindset change. You know, I uh I had a big issue with a lot of stuff that they were saying. Um, you know, like I was in rehab with a lot of people that had been IV users um, or had been back there eight to 20 times, you know, whatever it could be. And so I carried that, like, I'm better than you attitude 
into rehab of like, oh, well, at least I haven't done that. I haven't done that, you know, and it it led to me getting kicked out of rehab <laughs> um, to where I was then like officially homeless, like nowhere to go. Um, you know, they have transitional um, transitional housing. And so they're like, you know, if you get all these things done, we, you know, we'll think about it. And uh, so I got all those things done and got to transitional um, and kind of like slowly worked up to, to where I am now. When you first got out of the transitional housing, like that's what, how, how, how sober were you? Yes. Yeah, so I went to, so the rehab program is 90 days. Um, I got kicked out I think 60 days. And the main point of me getting kicked out was just because I started manipulating people. I was bored. And so people became something for me to manipulate, you know, because when you're like, people are cycling in and out. Mm-hmm. And so I was able, I was there the longest after like 30 days. So I had yeah. seniority. And so I'd be like, oh, hey, you're supposed to do this. Or we would have to walk downtown to meetings because we were actually required to call people every day to get ride outs for meetings. And then we also had to walk to some meetings. Um, because for those of you that don't know, Ann Arbor is one of the larger recovery communities. There's easily like 20 some meetings a night just within this eight mile city. Like there's, there's a lot of meetings. That's awesome. And uh, so the rehab that I went to was the, the focal point of that community. So it was easy to get these ride outs. Um, so yeah, I pretty much just became like the bully of the house. Not really the bully, but like I manipulated everybody. They saw it and they kicked me out. And then, uh, I had, uh, I was using the cancer card to try to get into transitional. Um, cause you I, do I have, have cancer. A, yeah. So I have a really weird form of cancer right now, um, which didn't make drinking any better. So I have polycythemia vera. So it's a bone marrow cancer that my blood essentially turns into jelly if I don't get some of it taken out. Um, so with drinking and like using drugs and everything, it got really bad, but that was what I used to make people feel sorry for me to give me drugs, you know, like, Oh, I have cancer. I need, I'm in pain. The doctor doesn't understand, you know, or like I would go to the doctor and they'd pretty much give me whatever they wanted, but 180 Percocets at five, 10 milligrams, those are only lasting about a week. Not even, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's you don't get very far with 180 pills, which you think you would. The only thing you that you get far doing is learning how to take like eight to ten horse pills at one time, and <laughs> that that chalk that chalk taste that follows behind where you're chugging an entire bottle of water to take it down because it's the grossest thing. Yeah, it's like if it, when you leave that pill in, especially the tens or the fives, like the like the big ones. For too long in your tongue while you're searching for a bottle of water, it is one of the most foul tasting things. Oh yeah. That I want to vomit up every single time. It's like, like the metallic you know. chalk. <clears throat> oh, that's it. Yeah, metallic chalk. That's that's the one. So what yeah. what did it take for you to finally be like on board with what recovery was like? You know what I mean? Because yeah. like Um, I to this day I still I'm not. I know that's not like the answer most people want to hear. What's an um, honest answer? I want to hear an honest answer, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was it was weird for me because like, because they would keep saying you know trust the process, um you know like um, hand your will over to God, you know all these instances, like or all these sayings. And for me, it was like, all right, cool. It seems to be you're only saying these when they 
when they affect you in a positive manner. You know, like I didn't understand how it would affect me. I do now in some, some, it makes sense, but the recovery, it, it's set up from my perspective to fail. You know, like, I feel like, so my first night I, I went to a meeting and I was that guy that sat in the back of the room of like this large church in the basement, you know, I'm all the way in the back by like the tables where the coffee and trash cans are. Basically a corner, you right. You would go, yeah. Like, yeah, retreat to the corner. That's yeah. what I did too. The first time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I feel like every newcomer does that. And so like, that was like my first time. And then the second time I went to an NA meeting and this guy um, came and picked me up. Um, gave me a hug, you know, like I still talk to this guy to this day. Amazing NA, guy. NA or all huggers. If you're an uh, NA, it's like, it's, it's the hug, you know, they shake yeah. hands in AA, but NA it's like, no, we're not. Uh, it's like, it's like Chris Farley, like in black sheep, like, or Tommy yeah. boys, like, we don't shake hands here. We're brothers. We hug brothers yeah. got a hug. That's yeah. NA's mentality is like, yeah. Chris, it's like brothers yeah. got a hug. <laughs> And it was weird for me because, like, I didn't like people touching me. Like, I had yeah. been in so many fights. Like, don't. But I think that's the point. Me. I think that's the point. NA is like, you know, I saw a meme yesterday. It was like Kramer next to like Post Malone. It was like AA versus NA. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's exactly true. It is like the tougher one, but we've also done sometimes tougher shit. AA has a lot of DUIs. NA has a lot of people that you know have on some like killing you know what i mean like harder you know crimes so i think the hug is that way of like breaking through that tough guy exterior right off the bat as you walk in like hey drop that you know who you were out there you know and hug me because you wouldn't have hugged me out there now hug me before you walk in here you know i think that's like what na is saying with the hug is because that is like everywhere i go with na it's all about the hug and I think that that has something to do with it. it. It drops your guard. If someone's hugging you, you can't be that tough guy you were on the streets anymore. Yeah, it it helped. It helped out a lot. I mean, like that initial hug. Um, I mean, granted, I still talk to him to this day. He actually sponsored me for quite a while. Awesome. Um, my issue with everything is like the terminology. Um, so I know like I, I've just always had this I'm better than you thing you know like i honestly i can't tell you where it comes from but it's also like what feeds my motivation to do things um that's what fed my motivation to go to rehab is you know like i'm not going out like this i'm i'm not the normal junkie you know like watch i'll show you and like i'm built different pretty much which is like it's bullshit you know but it's all like added layers that i've just added to myself and so I would be sitting there hearing people talking about like how drugs are bad as they're smoking cigarettes, chugging coffee. You know, I'm like, all right, so caffeine and nicotine is two most addictive substances on the planet. And you're telling me that those are not drugs. And I don't understand why exactly, you know, like, and then, and so it's just like, well, oh, well, you know, it's loose. It's a loose terminology or whatever. And it just, it did not make sense to me. And but I, I, I did everything, you know, like a couple months into it, I did, I chaired a meeting. Um, when I got into transitional, I kind of tightened up a little bit. Um, I had to go to a meeting every night. Um, I went to like all these functions and everything, but I just kept looking around and not seeing people progress. You know, I was like, what was the point of you getting 
clean or getting sober, if that's all you're doing is getting sober, you know, like, yeah, you make meetings like, yeah, you're doing this, but like, it's literally in the literature to like, to help others. Yeah. That's yeah. That's I'm all about the 12. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I, I just never understood, you know, like addicts go to, or alcoholics, you go to a meeting, you go to the room. Once you're in that room, you know, like you have a lot of help. Yeah. But like going out and actually seeing other people and being honest and vulnerable with like the general population, that's that was my issue of having all these attached rules. And, you know, like everybody that's been to rehab or been to a meeting has heard them, you know, and like the clicks that are everywhere. And like, oh, if you don't do this, you're going to die. And if oh, you don't do this, you're going to die. And like Charles institutions and death. Yeah, and, like, there's so much truth to that to some extent. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I, everybody has a different recovery, just like everyone has a different, you know, story. Yeah. You know, I think we all have different stories. That's why we do our both of our shows. You know, for those who don't know, he has a podcast, too. It's a Fighter Stories is the name of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I was on, what, episode two or three, I think, early. Like, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, really early and, so, like, you know, we all have different stories in the beginning. So why shouldn't our recovery be different, too? Why yeah. shouldn't our recovery look different? It shouldn't be the same as Bill and Bob from 1930, 1935, yeah. whatever, when they wrote that book, you know, for the big book. Because N.A., basically, you know, let's be real, N.A. hijacked A.A. and made yeah. it for narcotics. Let's be real. It's the same idea. The steps are almost exactly the same, except for some of the words are different, but it's the same. And yeah. You know, for like at least my meetings, like I have a guy that just started coming two nights ago, 41 years old and just doesn't like AA because of the terminology. He doesn't like hearing about God. And so he started uh, he he almost overdosed on heroin on Thursday night. He made his first meeting on Friday. He did overdose. He got shot with Narcan and um, it wasn't his first time. But he also loves speed. So he didn't do speed all weekend, but he but he didn't do heroin all weekend so far. He's been doing speed, and he's still coming to two meetings. And right away, he'll sit down. He's a big dude, like, and he'll be like, yeah, like, I'm on speed, but I'm not on heroin. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Let's talk. Like, you know, because I don't give a shit. Come back a little bit less on speed next time. You yeah, know, it's... like, I don't care what your recovery looks like. If you need to go come on speed, like, you know, no one's forcing you to be here. You just want to be here to hear a message. Be on speed. Just be on a little less speed each time. Try to taper, you know? Yeah, I I feel like, you know, the thing with this pandemic and, like, this whole mental health crisis that, you know, I mean, the Simone Biles thing and just whatever everybody's talking about is mental health. To, like, extrapolate that to going to rehab, I don't feel like mental health was ever really put into rehab or into the program. You know, it's, like, telling you a lot of things you can't do and telling you that you're supposed to do yoga and you're supposed to do it this way. And my main argument was, is that saying that, uh, keep coming, it works, you know, and keep it's coming like, back. It works if you work it. Yeah. Yeah. That, or, you know, like pretty much saying that the program is the only way. Yeah. Okay. That's the bullshit. And in my head, what I'm, yeah, what I'm trying to get at is, um, Show me any proof that it has worked once. You know, I mean, like, the person did the work, but what you do inside the meetings and you read the book, I get it. 
hundred percent, but there's not much difference between, you know, going to a meeting and going to church. You know, it's all like this governing higher power set of like higher principles to guide yourself. You know, it's just hard for me to want to do that on a consistent basis when I'm hearing people tell me like, oh, if you don't do this, you're going to die. As the weekend beforehand, I was helping him clear his house out because his girlfriend started smoking crack again and turned his house into a brothel. You know what I mean? Like making sure we have all the hidden guns out of the house and shit. So it's, and I know like it's everybody's situation is different, you know, and every people that you meet at meetings are different. I just feel like I didn't have the opportunity to actually express myself and say what was wrong. You know, that that was the huge issue, you know, of like me feeling like I was always like separate from everybody else. Yeah. Um, and then having like a cancer diagnosis, it just it threw everything completely off. I, I just never felt like the rest of everybody. Um, but it got me to where I am now. And I'm not saying that that's a good place. You know, it's better than it was before. You're not um, homeless. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've seen you in the same home now for a couple weeks straight, so that's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, like, and I'm in school. I'm trying to do uh, get my master's in dietetics, um, and I'm working with like uh, some fighters because um, I'm going into like combat nutrition. Um, so it's it's a way of that I've been able to find like my old world of like that chaos and violence and combine it with an educational world to where I don't have to be in a hospital it's just shedding all that excess trauma um that i feel like the program like aa and na they tend to want to take too much responsibility for fixing people you know like um i do therapy you know every week um i've had a panic attack where i thought i was gonna like crash my car i've never had a panic attack i've been the most bro guy on the planet calling myself professor. And like the king of douches, you know, like I'll go to the gym and protein steroids, bitches, you know, that whole thing. And it's yeah. just like the it's actually trying to figure out what was wrong with me was is the thing that's kept me going. Not so much going into a room, having somebody else tell me what I'm doing wrong. You know, it's it's a weird system that 100 percent works for some people, you know, but it's it's not the only way of doing things it's and the fact that you can't go from aa to na to uh there's another recovery to where they do like five steps on like buddhism smart smart recovery i think it's called i heard Um, yeah but like having people tell you that you're not supposed to do that you're not it just i've had people tell me i'm not supposed to do shit my whole life and those are the things that i ended up doing you're not supposed to take drugs so i fucking took drugs you know what i mean like why don't i yeah yeah it's... Yeah, I, I, I agree because the recovery and it does look different. I've talked to people all the time now and so do you and everyone's recovery will look different. You will have that person that, you know, is indoctrinated in AA and just Mr. AA, you know what I mean? Or Mrs. AA and you know, they're at every meeting, they secretary meeting at all times, they have sponsees, all that stuff. And then you have people that, you know, are just sober on their own. Mm-hmm. And they're just trying to figure it out, and they don't care because as long as they're not doing drugs, that's all that matters to them. You know, you have the people that they don't want to talk about God. They don't want to talk about 12 steps because of all the stigmas, because of going the first time and maybe having a bad experience. So, because it is about the people, there's no, like, you know, 
president of AA, you know what I mean? Like every yeah. sing, every single, you know, room you go into is going to be similar but different. You know, it's they've said people are going to be different, but they're going to be exactly the same. Yeah. You're going to have the old timers over in the back that are going to be whispering to each other about everybody the entire time. You're going to have the newcomers hiding in the corner. You're going to have the ones that are in their first 60 days that are all about their recovery that are up front and center because they want the attention because they're, you know, they're new at it. You know, all the people that groups of people are the same, but the rooms are different. And you know what I mean? So that I have noticed Um, the meetings are different in other places, though. Like in California, the meetings are much more, you know, progressive and liberal. You know, they let you talk about drugs in AA as opposed to you, you know, on Pennsylvania, you, you can't say pills, you have to say alcohol, yeah. you, you know, so everyone, you know, everywhere is going to be different, I find. So I, I, I didn't like it anymore. I love yeah. it in California. I love the support I have. I'm still friends with most of those people, but I didn't like it in Pennsylvania. So like, I like have my own thing now where I take my favorite parts of a meeting and that's what we do. And, you know, and like you said, the whole point is to help people like I do these meetings, not for me, it's for somebody else. But that is for, it helps me to help you. You know, yeah, yeah. You I coming remember in here every day is saving my life, too, because it gives me a reason to come in every day. Yeah, I honestly remember like doing our podcast and, you know, there's always a cynical side like, oh, it's just it's never going to work, you know, but like actually getting to know you and like seeing the passion and thinking about everything. Like, what you're doing, like, f- first off, the amazing idea, you know. Um, it's something that I wish more people actually did. Cause, you know, like, the problems that I have, like, I talk to, like, a therapist now. And, like, I had no idea that, like, so I've been at parties to where I've slept with chicks I didn't want to sleep with. You know, like, you just kind of, like, signed up for it by being in that life. You know, and then, like, it just happens and, you, like, it's a couple times where like you're in and out, you know, whatever the next day. And then as a dude, you're just like, Oh yeah, I slept with that chick. Or you may not remember. So you just don't tell anybody. Cause she might've been a fat chick or an ugly chick or, you know, like I, I had trophies, you know, of like, I wanted to like brag about the girls I slept with. Yep. And so like that stuff that you're not allowed to talk about in meetings, you know, like, um, I've, I've woke up in places, you know, like in ditches The why the fuck did I wake up in a ditch? It was perfectly okay for me, but you don't talk about all those things in meetings. Um, And you should. Yeah. Because there's people that need to hear those kind of things as a reminder to not want to drink again or use again. Like, I don't know why, like, I I know that it happens because I got, you know, chastised all the time. Like, hey, hey, we can't talk about that you know we don't want to mention that and like, yeah this is me this is my story what do you mean i can't mention it you know yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the fucked up thing right now is like so i'm in ann arbor and i know there's a ton of meetings the meetings that i liked going to i don't feel welcome going to them anymore so i was on a clinical trial drug and it crashed my central nervous system so now i have fibromyalgia um, which I could have that forever if it's actually that diagnosis. So I'm in a constant state of pain along with having cancer from trying to like help cure the type of cancer that I have. Yeah. So I've found that the only thing that works for me mainly with anxiety without taking like Xanax or anything and with pain and sleep is using marijuana. 
you know, so actually using that has helped, but it's made it so now I go into the rooms and I'm either going to get a talking to about like, are you using, you know, or like maybe just don't share today and, you know, all of like the other questions from, you know, from those old timers, it's not the new people. It, it's always the old timer. It's the and guys like, in the Muppets in the balcony. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, even if I was smoking crack right now, isn't this where I'm supposed to be going? You know, and like it's it needs to be updated. I'm not the guy that's going to do it. You know, it's it's not my thing. You know, like we got people like you that genuinely care about people and want to go after the real issue, which is the mental health issue. You know, it's the drugs and alcohol. That was never my problem. No, and like, that, that was our solution to our mental health. Yeah. Like, bro, just like you, yeah. like I went, I ended up in uh, Hawaii, California, Arizona, I think a bunch of times in Ohio, the UP, Florida, Pennsylvania. Um, like, and those are just places that I went specific. Oh, I went to Thailand because I knew that they had a drug I hadn't tried. Like, which one? So I I don't remember the name of it, but it's a green powder. And when you snort it, everything turns into like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Almost like like I felt like this giant Jigglypuff, and everybody around me was a uh, like a Mario character. Like everything was pixelated, like Mario One. Um, that shit was crazy. But then also ayahuasca. So I had I had to try that while I was there too. So yeah, well uh, while I'm in Thailand, let me just use green powder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean... some ayahuasca. <laughs> What's it called? I don't fucking know, but I know what it does. Yeah. Did you ever see Tropic yeah, Thunder? Uh, you know yes. what we, yeah, when when um Danny McBride when he was shooting off the rockets, he goes, "What's that thing called?" He goes, "I don't know what it's called. I just know the sound it makes when it lies." <laughs> and, he, and he shoots off the rockets. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't know, man. It. Like, I had to be okay with, like, I'm the fucked up one. You know, like, I'll sleep with your girlfriend, wife, fiance, your mom. It didn't matter to me. Whatever just made me feel better. You know, like, I'll steal all your shit. I'll beat you up, take everything. It was, there's no, like, crazy, you know, like, explanation for it other than, like, I was fucked up in the head, and I still am. And going to meetings for me kind of, it helped me able to clear my mind and to be able to allow me to kind of like have that fundamental basis of knowing what right and wrong was yeah um or is but on a daily basis going there it actually puts me in a negative mindset it it makes me not want to go there sometimes yeah and i my argument about um cannabis with them was that my relationship was different than what it used to be you know, yeah. like I don't smoke weed. I don't even. I don't smoke uh, vape. I don't smoke flour, um, because I don't want the instant one. I don't want where you're instantly feeling it because for me that's triggering. Of like, you know, I would snort pills because I didn't want to wait for them to hit me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I would chug because drinking slow it takes a while to get drunk. So it's the same idea now of changing my relationship. You know, like I use the RSO capsules. Because I can take one, and then I don't know when it's going to hit. I just know it's going to do its job in about an hour or two. Yeah. You know, it's not a thing where, like, I'm using it because I need to escape. Yeah. You know, I'm using it because I know that my brain operates better and clearer when it's working its way through my system. 
you know, I know that I eat better. I know that I feel better and I don't have to worry about like, oh, I got to go smoke this blunt so I can feel better right now. I don't like doing that. I don't want to have to escape something real fast because that's my old tendencies. So it's about your relationship. And when they would say, well, no, it's not what it is. I'm like, then what the fuck are we doing in AA? Yeah. You know, like, no, what, are, did... what are we doing here? That's, we're changing our relationship with things. Yeah. Well, like, so straight out of uh, rehab, we were only allowed to have one cup of coffee a day. At the time, I never drank coffee, you know, and then it just became the only drug available. So when I got out of rehab, um, I started drinking Bang or Celsius. Um, Celsius was different when they first came out and bang only had like one or two flavors and they tasted like shit, but there's 300 migs of caffeine. I'd run through four or five of those bad boys in a day, you know, and I never yeah. understood how that was okay. Yeah. Um, I did that, that was with a... monsters. I was just telling this story the other day. We couldn't have monsters in yeah. reha- and in sober living. They wouldn't let us, yep. you know, so we would go down to seven 11 and we would buy them anyway, and then we would get an empty cup, like a styrofoam cup from 7-Eleven, and pour it into it, and then put the lid on top, and then walk back to sober living. So it looked like we have a coffee, because you could have a coffee, but yeah. it would really be a 24-ounce monster inside the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything you had to do. To, yeah. You know, because, and they knew, the sober living manager that was always there during the day knew exactly what we were doing. He just didn't want to get in trouble for letting us. And he figured, you know what? Fuck it. At least they're not, at least they're trying to hide it from me. It's the whole instant thing. It's monsters did a real good job of doing that. I completely understand the RSO thing and why you do that. I've used the tar. Um, the relationship is a different thing of like having to tell people, you know, like what's your relationship with this plant? Because it, it changes. It's uh one day it could help you out with depression and anxiety. The next day it can give it to you. Yeah. You know, like for me, it it, uh, it takes that mask off, you know, of like what I'm trying to tell the rest of the world. It takes that away to where I actually have to see the truth. Um, so it forces me to be who I really am, not who I'm trying to be, um, which it's it's helped me out in so many different ways. You know, not just like I don't I didn't use it for the first three years of being sober. You know, like I only used it during this past run uh, with my uh, clinical trial drug and then kind of going through that and like having to fly to Minnesota with being in extreme pain, um, having to like be carried by two strange men to a wheelchair. You know, like it, it, it humbles you to where you would think that being an alcoholic and an addict and like crashing that that would do it. But, like, when you're sober and you're clean and life still comes down, those are the things that you can't really learn in those meetings. And those are the things that I feel like it's led us to get to know each other. You know, this podcasting and shit, you know, like, yeah, I could barely walk the first time we podcasted, you know. Yeah. And so it's like actually being able to, like, get out and get a community of like-minded people. I feel like that's the basis of what the rooms become. Well, I'll tell, just, you what, I'll tell you what I was saying to a meeting is pray on it. You'll be better. Just pray on it. Yeah. That, that's what they tell If you're in pain because of cancer and doing a spe- – they're going to tell you, well, you just got to pray on it, Rob. Yeah. You pray on it, and that's – you know, it'll be better. I promise. Just keep yeah, praying well, on the, it. The thing with that is, is, like, you can pray on it, and the fucking answer is right in your face. 
look, in some instances, preying on it just means to give you the right doctor. That doctor is still going to give you a painkiller at times. You know, like if you have something available, do it. But like, you got to know who you are, what you're capable of, and and actually attack you as a person. Be open and honest and have conversations with people. You know, I mean, this podcasting thing has allowed me to know that like, I used to feel like everybody had their shit figured out. I was the only one that was lost. Like literally before we got on, like I was doing like this TikTok video and like it's everybody feels that way. You know, it's just when you do something shitty, like stealing something from your parents or you know, whatever it is, you feel like, Oh, nobody else would do that. But in reality, if you turned around and told that person what you did and be like, I'm sorry, I feel like a piece of shit. Nine out of ten times, that person has a story of where they've done the exact same thing, and they can tell you about it. Yeah, it's just that being open and vulnerable is hard. And for me, it took being in over a hundred fights before I was sixteen. You know, like traveling all over the place and almost dying a couple times from cancer to even be okay saying I need help. You know, like I'm not okay in the head. I need a therapist. Um, I can't drop shit. You know, like, turn it over to God. That doesn't, that's not a thing. Not you can't just, oh, I wrote it down here. No, you got to, like, talk it out. Yeah. You know, like, figure it out. Like, I know you're sponsored by, uh, or you were at one point. Better help. Um, Better help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, still yeah, I actually, I looked at one of them, or I looked at them before I got a, a local therapist. You know, it, it that's more help long term. Yeah. You know, whereas I feel like rehab's in the rooms, that's the hit of crack. That's that bong hit of right now. Yep. But that's the, that's one hour a day. Yeah, that's you not know. that's just to keep you accountable every day. Make the coffee every day. That's it's accountability. It's to make sure you show yeah. up. Make sure we get eyes on you to make sure okay, he's still sober for right now. You know. So yeah, exactly. It's it's the other 23 hours of the day that you got to figure out now. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah, you're exact and you got to be good with yourself and you know with us at our age in our mid 30s, we were brought up to like Oh no, those feelings, you gotta stuff that shit down. What are you doing talking about you feel weird, you feel sad? Fuck off. You can't talk about that. You're a man. Man up. Like you're supposed to go fight about it. You're gonna feel better. Go hit somebody and you're gonna feel better. You know? And And that's 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 how and it's Yeah, and it's not even like our parents' fault either, because that's how they were, you know, it's a generational thing that, you know, we have to like almost be like, Okay, I'm not gonna call my son a you know, my dad never did this to me. Right. But, you know, call my son a pussy because he's crying. You know, my dad never would do that to me. But I was also, you know, I didn't want to cry for a while in front of anybody because I was afraid of being a pussy. You yeah. know, because in the 90s, you know, you were, you know, what I say, the F word, which I don't mean fuck. But that word was thrown around all the time in the 90s and mm-hmm. before. And I won't even say the full word now, not even the three letter word of it, because I, you know, I don't. It's fucked up now to think about. That's but that's what was thrown around back then when we were growing up. Like, you're a pussy or whatever if you're gonna cry about something. Yeah, you know, it's like, what do you, it's like, what do you mean your dad left and you're crying, you fucking pussy man up? Like, you're gonna, yeah. you, you know, like that's what we're talked to on the playground as kids. Yeah, it's weird because like <laughs> you literally bring that up made me remember like when I went to rehab, they said you know like you are only as old mentally as when you started using. You know, so that puts me right about 15 to 17, you know, like I never matured past that mentally. And so now 
it's crashing you know to where like i get life lessons daily that hit fucking hard you know because like i will still talk like that 15 to 16 year old kid that like, I, I got a bicycle when i was a kid like 12 that was basically a ferrari you know like if i was thirsty and like that house had a hose i would drink out of the hose you know like i it, it was a different time and now getting clean you know, 20 years later, there's a 20 year gap to where I never got to grow mentally or mature. And that's the biggest hurdle for me to have to, to overcome is like, now I feel like I have to play constant catch up, not only in business and work, but like in school, but like relationships yeah. and conversations. I'll be in a conversation and people will be like, oh, well, look at that dog. He's a little mean. He shouldn't have barked at that little dog. And I'm like, fuck that. If that was a pit bull, he'd have snapped that bitch's head off. You know, like, that's my mentality of how I talk. But, like, society has changed so much to where you can't talk like that. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's a very weird thing to have to go through. It's funny because, like, I, and, you know, we were told that, too. Like, we stop maturing when we start using. So that puts me in around, like, 12, 13. You know what I mean? Even 11 when I started yeah. drinking. And so, like, we'll be ordering dinner, and it's it's so stupid. I'll do it all the time. She'll be like, oh, like, what do you want to say? I'm like, all right, what do you want? She goes, I'm going to get a hoagie. I'm like, yeah, you're a hoagie. Like, you know, just, like, yeah. whatever she says, I'm like, you're that. Like, Your it mom. Makes, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just the stupid. But it's that mentality thing of, like, the stupid shit that we would say back then. And I'm saying it now because, like, I am still growing up. You know, I am 35, and I am but still, like, my head, I had to learn how to be in a real relationship. You know, yeah. and that's what I talked to my therapist about early on. Like, she's going to be on my show soon. And we always talked about relationships because I was like, Katie, like, I don't know how to be in a relationship. Like, I'm 31 years old. And the girlfriends I had, you know, they were either using me or I was using them, you know. And then the one real relationship I had with my best friend growing up, you know, she she committed suicide. You know what yeah. I mean? So, like, I need to, like, learn that. So we would do worksheets and we spent a ton of time on me and relationships and how to be in a relationship because that was one thing that I realized, like, I don't know how to fucking be a boyfriend to somebody, you know, because like I never had that because I was always drunk or high. Yeah, so, sure. you know, it was one of the things like, I feel like I need to learn that, you know, and I'm glad I did because, you know, it makes a big difference now. You know, I yeah. made sure my wife has MS, so like I'm always making sure that she's good. And like right now, I was like, I told her take the day off, stay home. I'll, I'll go in the office. I'll take care of shit. I need you to relax because school starts tomorrow, and we got a seven year old. Yeah. So you know, he's going in second grade. And I was like, you need to relax and just like do, I know you're going to do shit around the house, but just just relax today. You know, yeah. don't it's... you know don't push yourself. Like getting clean was one of the better things that I've ever done. Um, it was one of the best things that I've done. Um, it's just afterwards trying to figure shit out is hard in being vulnerable with people and being okay, not always talking. You know, that was the big thing. Um, and then when this last cancer crash happened, I started vlogging and like making a YouTube channel and like set like start doing podcasting and stuff. And now I've been able to actually find like a community of people that are like minded. Um, and I'm finding out that you're allowed to speak the way that you want. You know, it doesn't have to be this aggressive, over-the-top look at me, you know, but, like, 
you can speak your genuine truth and be afraid of things and that's perfectly okay yeah being vulnerable is is okay like being vulnerable is good make you means you're feeling things yeah it's it's weird to have to go through that transition to to find that out because i would also use that vulnerable thing for other people and use them to get drugs you know, and that's not being vulnerable. That's not being honest, you and know, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely trying to figure out that balance and everything, but like through podcasting and through like YouTube channels, I've, I've met a lot of cool people, you know, and heard other stories and I know it gets worse, but I also know it gets better and it, it kind of got down to the point of like, like, why can't I be that one? You know, like, you go look for a job, but why can't I be the one to give you the job? You know, and, like, I know what it's like to heat myself in a trailer that's been abandoned using a stove and a propane tank, you know, for heat in the middle of January. I know what that's like, but I don't know what it's like to live in the penthouse, you know. So, like, let's let's try to figure that out. <laughs> so. <laughs> how, how long? Wait. So, I didn't hear that. I don't remember that story. So, wait. You yeah. Were... Okay. Yeah. So, so right before I went to rehab, probably like six months, um, uh, there's this small town and I didn't have a job. I couldn't stay at my mom's place. And I guess I should have said this back, like right before I went it's to rehab. Fine. No, I like jumping around. Yeah. It's, uh, so I had a buddy that I met in jail and he had a trailer that somebody sold to him for 500 bucks, I think. And we, it was like in the middle of winter when he said that I could come live with him and I could just go work at like this wood mill that he worked in. And it was the only place I had. I, I didn't have anything else. So it was my bulldog and I literally moved into this trailer to where, yeah, we had a propane tank hooked up to the back of the stove and that's how we would cook anything. Um, we had a generator going. So it was like pretty rare when we'd get electricity for like a microwave or TV or anything. But we lived or we worked in this wood processing plant where we'd take raw, like long pieces of lumber and sort them out. Um, but yeah, in the middle of January, there's there's no heat, and so I had this ottoman probably the size of this desk, you know, like that wide, and I would sleep on that, and it would roll out to almost as tall as I am, and I'm only five seven, so it's pretty small. And so I had to take blankets with uh, nails and put them up over the windows so that way at night I could turn the stove on. And at least going from like that violent shiver to like just cold. And so I would have four or five blankets and then I would snuggle with my bulldog at night and we would literally keep each other, keep each other warm. And then I would have to do at least like 70 to 100 milligrams of oxy before I could leave because I remember like bawling my eyes out on the car ride there because I didn't know if my dog was going to be alive when I got back, you know, because I would keep her in a crate and I locked her in this crate so that way she couldn't run around because that's where all of the blankets were. And I didn't want her to feel like going somewhere else and dying, you know? Yeah. And so it's like... I wouldn't say that's like a rock bottom. Like, it, I guess it would be a physical rock bottom. But, like, for me, it was, like, the mental thing of, like, actually knowing people saw me for who I was. Yeah. And so it's it, it's not, like, one of those tent poles in my story so much. Is like, it just it happens. So. Where's the dog at now? Uh, she's 
Yeah, she's actually in the room right now. Um, that was the panic attack that I had. Was she's on her like her last summer, um, and so we've been through so much that you know losing her is just something that it's not easy for me to deal with. Um, but growing a relationship with her, like in these in the later years, it's it's taught me a lot about myself. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's just a dog. Like if you say it's just a dog never had a dog in your heart was yeah. a piece of shit so yeah. i mean like i think you know like the program would call it living amends yeah you know to whereas like that was a big thing i needed to do is get my dog out of because i went to rehab and left my dog in a trailer you know with my mom and like i didn't know what was gonna happen you know like it wasn't a stable situation and then when i was finally able to like get my own place get a car and get her out it was like the biggest relief you know, I did it. And yeah. then, and so now it's like, that was the hard part is like letting her live her best life because I put her through hell. Yeah. But it's also this constant reminder of she's not the only one, you know, that there's like a, a river of bodies, I guess you'd say is that like you, that you leave behind in having that on your mind is it's hard to let go. Yeah. Um, I guess the only way that I can do it is just by doing those living amends of not trying to do that to the people that I live with today. So, I mean, I do have the program to think for those things. Um, you know, you just, you, you got to take the good stuff and leave the bad. Just, so just I did. Like, you know, like look at who's giving the advice, I, I guess is, is the yeah. big thing is where's the, the advice may not be bad, but where is it coming from? Yeah. That's a that's a big thing that I got to look at. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you hopping on last minute and talking, you know. I always like talk. We, me and you get along. We've gotten along since day one. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I appreciate you hopping on last minute with anybody. It's always a fun conversation. Check out your podcast. Where's your podcast available? Uh, So I actually have my podcast on every platform that I've been able to find, I think. So it's on Google, Spotify, Apple, um, Breaker, Beaker, whatever that one is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I upload straight to Anchor, and then I just kind of went out and found the or got the RSS on every feed that I could probably put it on. Um, yeah, it's called the Fighter Story, and then I have a YouTube channel for it that I'm just starting. Um, same thing, a Fighter Story. So that's up, and then everything else is I am Rob Childs. I just didn't want to be creative, and I figured like it, it's me, you know, like I don't really know how to do anything else you know like uh, all my nutrition stuff is under my name um anything that i do podcast related it's all it's all under my name it, it's who i am so yeah. you know like down the road if it bites me in the ass it, it is what it is this is who i am you know and like i'm i'm tired of running from who i am so that's how i feel yeah exactly yeah awesome i appreciate it bro yeah for sure bro all right have a good day man uh, you too all right see you